This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Andrews, and I'm joined today by former Manchester United goalkeeper, Luke Steele, and author, Wayne Barton. Um, before we begin, please remember, of course, to like and subscribe. And if you're watching us live on Facebook and YouTube, feel free to get your comments in, your questions. And if you're listening back on audio, please leave a review on the platform that you're listening on. So first off, Luke, thank you very much for joining us today. Now, we'll kick things off because people will obviously be familiar with you from your career as a footballer, obviously. Um, but you're currently supporting another special cause, aren't you? Um, Youth Dreams Project. So if you'd like to kick us off by telling us a little bit more about that and what that work entails. Wow, straight into straight into business, Jamie. I like that. <laughs> um, no, so basically when I was at Barnsley in 2014, um, a friend and I started a business called Youth Dreams Project, um, aiming to basically support supply sport at a high standard to those who don't usually get the chance and that's rolled on to being in lots of primary schools secondary schools we've got an academy which is just football but basically it um we help provide sport in schools um and give the opportunity for kids to play all different sorts of sports so it might not be the usual kind of things but we have dodgeball tournaments um which people wouldn't usually get to do we have all the summer camps, half-term camps, um, a scholarship programme, which is 16 to 18-year-olds. Um, and yeah, it's basically, it's nine years old nearly, and it's just rolled into so many different things. The best thing to do is, because I don't want to bore anybody, is to go on our Instagram page, which I don't run, by the way, but um, so you'll have to excuse some of the pictures, but go on our Instagram page and have a look, and basically you'll see all the different things that we do. We range from two to five-year-old sessions, which is Diddy's football, um, right up until the scholarship scheme, which is 18-year-olds. We work in some prisons, um, some female-only prisons, which is great because um, young young teenagers who get in trouble and go to young offenders' prisons, um, you know, they still need the opportunity to play sport. And we find that sport is such a great outlet to channel anger, to release any tension, especially within the youth. And, and basically we're trying to help give, give the youth a distraction from getting into trouble and doing all those things that, uh, as we all know, can lead you down the wrong path. So that's just grown and grown. So we're in our ninth year now. We've, um, we've got a franchise down in Oxford, 
which is great. We've got a franchise in Cambridge, obviously Peterborough, where I'm from, and then we've just um, we've just sold one to somebody in Leicestershire. So that's hopefully growing all over the country and so on. And um, yeah, it's just been really great. It's great for me to kind of retire and go straight into that and um, to have a business kind of already fully on its way when I, when I retired. That was, that was great for me. Yeah, it sounds like, um, it sounds like it's brilliant work as well. What's the, um, what's the Instagram handle though? So anyone watching can go and check it out. It's just Youth Dreams Project. Um, there's different kind of accounts. Obviously, this is the main one. And, you, you know, you'll see visually what it's all about. Um, right back into it since 2014, 15. Um, and yeah, obviously, if anybody wants to get get involved, especially locally, then um, if they need jobs and things like that, then get in contact. But if they, you know, want to set anything up in their area, then also get in contact. Brilliant. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Yeah, so make sure if you're watching, go and check that out as well and see the work that Luke's been getting up to there. Um, so as well as obviously, you know, being a, a philanthropist and entrepreneur as well now, you've added another string to your bow, haven't you? Becoming a striker recently, taking a bit of a step away from the goalkeeper that you uh, spent your career as. And I, I'm hearing that you scored at the weekend, didn't you? Oh, good research, Jamie. I love that. I love somebody who does a little bit of research. Yeah, you know, I was... Um... I spoke about it about a year ago, but I think it was during lockdown and I finished at Millwall slash Forest. And when I realised I didn't want to continue playing in goal, I, I ended up playing a few Sunday league games um, for my electrician who convinced me. He's been asking me for 15 years anyway. Um, and I said, look, I'll play if I can play up front. And he said, you know, you can play anywhere. So I played and um, I ended up playing, you know, I think it was 12, 13 games you know, as a striker in a Sunday league match, in, in a Sunday league side and managed to score, you know, um, quite a lot of goals, let's just say. And I just had the bug for it. And it, it, when I'm asked, you know, it was never something that I thought about playing up front. I always used to play midfield, actually, before I, you know, stuck to goalkeeping. But I used to play midfield a lot and it's never kind of left me because um, any chance that I got during my career, I'd always try and play outfield. And then, after lockdown um, and the Sunday League stuff, I tried a bit higher um, and had a dream debut for one local side, PNS Reserves, where we won 3 2 and I managed to score all three, and my confidence just went through the roof. Um, it changes you if you become a striker, believe it or not. And um, I then and then tried a little bit higher and played for their first team. And then, and then yeah, this season I've, I've basically got into, um, sorry, last season I got into a step five local cycle deep in ranges which is you know not a bad level for those who don't know it's probably about eight leagues below the premier league that's the best way to kind of you know divvy it up and then yeah i, I got in the side probably midway through the season and done done quite well and then this season like you said i've i've, I've scored two and um three starts so it's not a bad start for me um, obviously, I'm working hard on, on that. And it is, you know, it's a serious level. The lads, it's incredible what non-league football actually is when you've never seen it and you've only seen professional football. It brings back, you know, the love for the game is just so far and wide. And, you know, lads who clearly would, would do anything and have dreamt of playing professional football, they still have their release of playing football on any level. And, and I just... 
I just hope, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it yet, but I just, I want to somehow channel and get in contact with the FA or the relevant people to channel some of that money that I know that they generate into grassroots football at a men's level. I know the kids have been, you know, that's a separate thing, but non-league football, the pitches still can be pretty brutal and they need funding. And I just know that there's not enough coming down from those leagues because there's so much travelling and time and effort from wonderful people, wonderful people. But, you know, it's, it's, it's in need of a bit of funding. And I think that for me, somebody who not fell out of love with football, but I, I did kind of start to, you know, not enjoy it as much at the end of my career. This has got me back in, involved in it immensely. I absolutely love it. And I think that, you know, just being around any change room is great. But, you know, non-league football and, and, and the places and the things I've seen in the last two seasons has just been incredible. And, you know, it's just a credit to all the boys that work so hard Monday to Friday usually. And, and, you know, some lads finish work and they're going straight to training or some lads work on a Saturday morning and then go straight to the game. You know, and they're sometimes travelling an hour, two hours to Nottingham from where we are, turning up to the game and then it's all full throttle and it's just it's just class. And I think that there's not enough um, that probably goes into that from the FA maybe. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and it's great that obviously it's revitalised your love for the game. Um, do you get many people... Who, who recognise you? Many people who turn around and go, well, "I'm playing against the next pro here," because I'm not going to lie, that I, I, I'd, I'd be sat there going, "Nah, you're all right. Sub me off, Gaffer. Like, uh, I'm not playing against next pros here." Yeah, but it, it's. I mean, you get idiots who don't understand that I was a goalkeeper all my career. I'd never played up front once. So at 36, I started, or 35, I started doing that. Um, it, it, you know, it's not on the same level. We're not. We're not talking about. I'm not no better than them and I'm just struggling because I'm just learning the position, I'm learning where to go, um, my fitness level, things like that. But to answer your question, because we're in the Nottingham League and I was just at Forest recently, obviously there's a connection there and lads mentioned to me and things like that. It's usually at the end of the game um, that they, they, they mention it. But yeah, they've been brilliant. I mean, lads, lads don't care. They just they kick lumps out of you and, and they get on with it. And then at the end, they might mention something and, you know, it's great. And everybody's in the bar after having a drink and I've not seen it nasty or anything after that. But yeah, no one's, no one's really bothered. I think the novelty wore off. Like last season, it was a bit of a novelty thing. And for me, it was hard to kind of, you know, get away from chatting about that all the time. But my teammates have certainly, you know, that's, that, that's worn off and, you know, they're expecting me to, to produce on a Saturday now. And I am, you know, I've just totally become addicted with it. And, um, you know, I'm just happy that the last few weeks I'm starting in the league. And, you know, that's a huge thing for me. So, yeah, I've had a few comments. It's been quite funny. And I don't worry, I've given a few back. So, Good. you know. Good. Um, well, yeah, no, it's brilliant to hear. And um, so we'll move on then from uh, from non-league football back to Premier League football, and of course the uh, the elephant in the room, the uh, the Brentford game. Um, now we've already had two podcasts on it about it. Um, the post-match podcast that's hosted by Mark, and then of course the Monday morning pod with Wayne and Paul Parker. Um, but given that it's United, and given that it's a horrendous result, it sometimes takes a little bit longer for the wounds to sink in and for us to gather our thoughts. So, Luke, what do you think then? What do you think about the, uh, the, the 4 0 defeat to Brentford? Well, obviously, I was playing. We won 5 0. I came off happy <laughs> as Larry. 
on a, on a selfish point of view and um you know you're in the bar and think of it as like a clubhouse you know both teams and all that you could see that everybody was going around with a phone and saying you never guess what united are one nil down united are two nil down united are four nil down and you know this is three and a half hours from manchester where the room's full of you know i'd probably say 30 40 percent of man U fans is in there and and you just can't believe it. You just can't believe it from a from a United point of view. But then when you actually look back, and I ask myself what our group, you know, everyone has a lads group chat. I and I was saying at the beginning of the season, I don't expect Man U to finish in the top half of the table. And I've never said that before. But I, you know, I've now become a realist of like when we face the Leicesters, I don't expect to win. And I I say that because. When I look at the players, and I don't blame the players in terms of effort, I don't think that the United starting eleven deserves to be in the top four or five. And that's just from what I've seen over the last few years and what I know of those players. Um, you know, some very some good players in there. But you're talking about the best league, supposedly, in the world. You have to be a great player to be in the top four or five. And that's where we're at at the moment. And... Uh, you know, my whole family are Manchester United fans and we went last year for the first time in years. Um, and yeah, I've looked back at the game and it's, it's tough to watch. I think it was tough to watch the Hayes interview after because from a goalkeeper, I've felt like doing that sometimes. I never did when I've played poor and I felt like it was on me. And I think he tried to kind of take pressure off everybody and say, look, it was me. It wasn't the lads, it was me. So those things are, are tough to watch and my expectations of the season aren't what they have been from being a little boy, seeing United win everything. And I think that's just, it's started to turn now and it's just not our time. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I find it hard to disagree with you. I think everyone's expectations seem to have changed over the last uh, over the last decade, potentially. Uh, Wayne, I'll come to you because you've not said anything so far. Um, your thoughts then against Brentford, what went wrong? God, everything. Um, yeah, I don't know. We have this conversation, but I always um, try and preface my notes with when I talked to Paul on a Monday morning, the idea was where the emergencies are in the team. And that's generally the conversation that we have when a new manager comes in. So we say, what does he immediately need to address? And the problem is with this United side is that every single area looks like an emergency that you think that needs to be addressed right now. And obviously they can't do it that way. So the consequential issue of that is that you solve, no matter what area of the pitch you solve, you're always going to be um, chasing until the last piece of the jigsaw is solved. So you've basically got 10 or 11. And even the, the areas which are not as great emergencies as others, such as I think De Gea is not as great an emergency, and I would normally say Ronaldo's not, even those who performed last season, you're not going to be able to count on in the long term. So obviously, De Gea is going to need to be replaced as part of this cycle. Ronaldo definitely will because he's 37. And that's where United, like we've said, it's where United are at the moment. And you've got to be realistic. And I'm, I'm sure you're the same as me, Jamie. When, when um, there was the opening day and we're getting preparing to face Brighton, you're thinking, oh, we might play Malatia. We're going to play Martinez. We're going to play Ericsson. And this year, this new look United side, we finished second not so long ago. 
We've got the potential to finish in the top four. And then, um, then reality bites, and we put in the performances that we have. Um, against Bright, uh, against Brentford, look, I think the manager, I just have to face some criticism for what he did because not so much, I, I don't go along with the narrative about Martinez's height because in that situation, they were basically, with Brentford are such a good set-piece team, they were basically piling on him at set-pieces. If you are five foot nine like he is, and he's on the goal line, <laughs> people are just going to charge into him. I don't really blame him for that, but they had a game plan. And they just, I know that on, on the post-match podcast, Stu uh, made a point about Brentford playing. He made a comment and he got some criticism from, from Brentford podcast side probably that um, he said Brentford will have an under-9s team. But I think what he meant was they, they got the basics of an under-9s team right. And United got it wrong from that perspective. That they weren't it's hard to say that they're not showing enough commitment. I think the pressure on them is so great at the moment. Um, the expectation on them is to be a lot better than what they are. And there's no shame in not being good enough to play for United or to even achieve for United. Um, but the pressure on them is so great that obviously they can't handle that. And again, that's a massive criticism of them because players can. It just so happens that the criticism is so great and they're in a position so far away from being able to challenge that you're seeing a very vulnerable side that teams who are well drilled and well coached, as many are in the Premier League, as long as they've got the right attitude and they get an early goal. This United side really struggles mentally if they concede the first goal. They, they crumble very quickly, and that's a massive problem for Ten Hag to deal with. But that's the one that he's actually easy narrated and he's got to deal with that going forward. It's everything that could go wrong did go wrong in the first half on, on Saturday. And he did make some changes at half-time. United were more physically capable, but, you know, we were, the game was long gone at that point. Yeah, agreed with, uh, with everything you said. It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we did very much seem to do the basics wrong. Brentford turned up hungrier and wanted everything more. You know, they we've seen that they ran nearly 14 kilometres more in the game than United did. And that seems to be a recurring issue that we have season after season regardless of who's in charge regardless of the players we don't seem to cover as much ground as other teams we don't seem to to, to want it as badly and I just think the, the fear factor seems to have gone um, when teams come and play United you know there, there, there is no um, fear there anymore I think everyone thinks oh I can get at them here I can have a go at them um, and it does seem that we're there for the taking these days which is you know when we were saying before about changing expectations, Luke, like, like you mentioned, one of the expectations I now have is that teams turn up and play against us. Yeah, yeah. We play we play into other teams' tactics. They'll actually sit there, they'll, 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 they'll get the board out, they'll analyse how we play and they'll come up with a game plan of how they can easily break that down and how they can beat us. Um, very few positives to take from the game. I think there were brief periods where sort of the interplay looked nice. We had some good link-up play on the right-hand on the right side, but other than that, I think it was a shocking performance. Um you mentioned Ten Hag there, Wayne, um, that he needs to face some criticism. So um, I'll come straight back to you with this one, and then Luke, I'll ask your thoughts. Do you think that maybe there's some worries already about Ten Hag's tactical setup, um, or is it is it still early days and people are getting ahead of themselves? No, I think it's still early days, but I think he's he's shown a little bit of naivety. What you've seen is a new manager coming into a league and not prepared for the quality of what he would 
presume are mid-table sides. So in Ireland, you know, in, with Ajax, the quality of their mid-table sides is not going to be anywhere near as as strong as the quality of the mid-table sides in the Premier League. They're obviously a lot better. They're a lot more um, well prepared to take advantage of mistakes. Like I said, United are very pensive, very apprehensive at the start of games. Quite easy to figure out because um, without wanting to be, again, too critical of the quality of the players, they don't have a midfield that can um, keep hold of the ball. Um, it's, you know, it's they are easy to play against. This this squad of players, they're easy to play against because the opponent is quite happy for them to have all of the ball, which is quite a damning thing if you think about it from you know United perspective. Every player you would think you'd be fearful of, you know, that they could cause damage to you. Um, but I still think Tenor coming in is um, is still adapting to the league. You know, I did hear some something yesterday that did concern me a little bit is that his defences in Ajax were always fairly vulnerable and that coaches um, coaches of opponent teams would always, um, they found a way to exploit it and it was only due to the lack of quality in, in Dutch teams through through the league that those sort of defensive mistakes weren't punished as severely as they are in the Premier League. Now, I don't know if that's just pessimism. Um, people do mongering at the start, but it, I mean, that's the concern that I've got because you just don't know about the quality of the defenders sometimes. You don't know the combination of defenders, which is right. Do you know, is Maguire the best fit for Martinez at the side of him? Are the question marks over Varane? You've got Lindo up and by, just sat um, freezing. You don't know what the best combination is. You don't know how, you know, if, which one is letting the other one down, basically. You don't know that, you know, oh, it's all right, Martinez has come in and he looks better on the ball. But that's, again, it's after one or two games that you're saying that he might not be good on the ball. We, we just don't know yet. So, um, and, and that's the same to go back to Tenorg. I just think it, it's much too early to sort of make a damning sweeping generalisation, but you can only test on what you've seen, right? So we know that playing Ericsson as a false nine against Brighton didn't work. And we know that he was caught cold by um, how aggressive and how brilliant Brentford were on set plays. He wasn't prepared for that. Probably wasn't prepared for United's own naivety or the way that they crumbled under pressure. Um, he's learning that as we go as well. That's the danger when you change managers. If you change a manager and they're new to the league, then they've got to assess all these things for themselves. And all right, they might be old old lessons for you or I. I've been sat and watched it for, for years, but for him, have seen it for the first time. There is a little bit of naivety, but at least I think dropped McTominay for the weekend. There was a big question mark. I think it was reported in The Athletic about Maguire and Varane. So obviously the issue, he knows that there's an issue there and he he, he hooked sure at half time. So he knows where a lot of these problems are, but it's reactive rather than proactive, which you would understand as a manager. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Luke, I'll come to you because this is a really good question here from the Football Brewery. So, now that he knows the status team, do you reckon Ten Hag has to adapt his style or is he going to do a Bielsa? And obviously, Bielsa's philosophy was effectively the downfall of him at Leeds in the end. You know, all the pundits can say that he played fantastic football and Leeds were brilliant to watch, but you know, the fact that they used to get hammered week in, week out most most game weeks. 
Um, will Ten Hag stick to his philosophy or do you think that time now to start tinkering with it and figure out a new way to play? Yeah, I read that question, James. So just had a little um, look and it's a good one because it might sound early to do that, but I honestly think that if it's clearly not working and he's surprised by the speed and the way people press and things like that, then he'll have to. Otherwise, you'll win two games out of ten and you will be fighting relegation. It takes, for managers, and I know managers can be very, very stubborn, very stubborn. And I know that man, the best managers will adapt and they'll change things. They will also keep their philosophy in terms of what they want to do, keeping the ball. But they will have to look at how to get results because he'll know that being 18th, 17th at Christmas won't be good enough. So no matter how much he loves the way he plays, and I was lucky enough to play against Ajax a few years ago in Europe. We had him in our Europa League group. Um, I can't work out if he was the manager or not, to be honest, because um, it was 2017-18, so I don't think he was, whoever was before him. But I know how they want to play, and they're so risky and, and things like that. And I know the Dutch league um, is a bit slower, and it allows you to do that. So... When you have success at a certain style, you clearly want to then go, well, we can replicate that with a little bit better players in any league. Well, it's not the case. And I'm not saying he doesn't know that because, you know, he, he's clearly a, um, a top, top manager. But he'll have to forget about himself and how his team looked to Ajax and he'll, he'll look to get results soon. I'm not saying it'll be this week, next week, but, you know, October... I always think it's that time, you know, when you hear about the, ma the manager getting sacked in October and you think, wow, he's only had six games, but, you know, people don't get time. And I think that he will look at um, slightly changing the way they play. And I think I read the other day that didn't he make up the kilometres that Brentford ran, which is quite clever. I think it's 13.4 or something on the warm down day, which is quite, um, quite a clever thing. And I think that... Um, that might hit home in, in the players' minds. But, you know, that extra press and that extra charge, it makes a huge difference. And I think that you've got to remember that every game of football will be scrappy at certain times. It won't be, I'll kick off, everyone should keep the ball. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And I think that United missed that bit of scrappiness, not fouling, but press, press, press. Could be 10, 15 minutes at any game because at the moment, United, United go to grounds, and even Old Trafford, but they go to grounds where smaller clubs say, do you know what, this isn't United of before. And I've had those team talks myself when I've played against big teams and the manager's gone, look, forget the history and forget this and that. These are there for the taking. I'm doing this with my hands because I remember managers doing that with their hands a lot. And they always use the words, they smell blood. And that's so true, because when you smell a bit of blood and you go into that game, thing, hang on a minute, we're not playing Forest of, you know, 84, 85, the Champions League winners. We're playing Forest League Championship right down the reverse. Big ground it might be, but, you know, I'm, I'm talking when we were Barnsley or, you know, different teams. But And they'll go with a positive mindset. And that always starts off with the press. They won't think, oh, we'll just pop it round Man U. No, we're going to press, 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 and we're going to, nap at their heels and I think that United have got to be the same when they play teams um, and get in people's faces but I don't think that 
Ten Hag's tactics um, will stick. The, the, the principles will be there, but they will have to change slightly and the boys will have to run run hard, especially early on in games, to gain power and to gain possession. You have to earn the right to play. You can't just get the ball and just say, right, we're Ten Hag's team, we're going to pass it like Ajax. You have to earn the right to play. And I think that he won't be naive enough for, to not know that. And I think you will see a slightly different United team in the next few weeks. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the important thing, isn't it? Because, you know, there are some people on Twitter that have already written the season off, um, you know, as a failure. Um, can, I two ask, games in, can I just ask one on. question? Sorry. Yeah, of I'm course. Some little girls put a hand up at school, so I'm going to do the same. When, like you guys, obviously I'm three and a half hours away, what is the expectation of Manchester United this year in terms of, if I asked you two personally, what would you say is considered as expected this season before the season started? What would be all right? What would you go, okay, that weren't a bad season in terms of places? Not, not touched, I'm talking places in the Premier League. I think I think for me and for a lot of people I've spoken to is, and it's sort of hard to got to mention a cop here, is that um, finishing fifth or sixth but winning the Europa League and gaining entry to the Champions League there would be an acceptable season. Um, for me personally, because I'm a bit more of a realist, I just want to end the season by thinking, yeah, we developed an identity there. There was a clear pattern of football that we played week in, week out. Um, and, you know, Ten, Ten Hag was proactive and the players fought for the badge and that they weren't lazy. So as long as we're not finishing sort of 10th, 11th, 12th and stuff like that, for me, this season is a season of transition. Um, I'm more than happy to look back at the end of the season and hopefully see that we've come together as a unit. We've progressed in the terms of the football that we play. And that, for me, would be a successful season and providing a platform to springboard next next season, which I know some United fans will say, you know, watching this, will be like, oh, you're accepting mediocrity there by, you know, not wanting to win the league. But the only thing I will say is that, you know, we're two games in and pretty much City are champions again. <laughs> Liverpool have got points and they're the closest to them. So, but, you know, that that for me is, is probably the expectation there is that we develop as a football club, we redevelop an identity and we end up with a, an 11 um, at the end of the season that we're proud of. That, and like this comment's just popped up here, is about, it literally is about what I'm to say, is the bare minimum is effort, the bare minimum is passion for the badge, wanting to get onto that football pitch and cover every blade of grass. Um, and then we've, we've not seen that for the past year, you know, towards the end of Ollie's time and then under Ralph. Um, we just, we lack the desire, we lack the heart. So, um, yeah, I want, I want us to be a United team that um, is always, you know, first to every second ball or at least trying to get there, um, always going in for a challenge. And like you say, Luke, like pressing from the start, um, I want that intensity. So that, that's my expectations. I'm not sure what Wayne would say. But so that, really I take that six. I heard, I heard number six there, so I'm going to say yeah. Like, this is just personal opinion. Yeah. Um, so for me, I look back and from your time, Luke, when you were there, obviously you were right there at the end of Roy Keane being there and he left an influence on the dressing room, which was obviously inherited by Rooney and Ronaldo for that next generation and that drive to win, you know, the earning the right to play and everything like that, understanding what the club is about. That was always there until Sir Alex retired. And I think you've had, and I'm not saying it was deliberate and I'm not blaming the managers for this. I just think maybe, again, it's the profile of the club and they didn't understand what they were walking into. It's been an almost systematic 
deconstruction of that and makes it difficult for the players because the message is gone. And the first message was David Moyes um, when he was, you know, I think it was before the Newcastle game, he said, we'll try and make it difficult for Newcastle. And then when Mourinho was manager, it was something like football heritage or something like that when Sevilla beat us. And did he not... It was when the Europa League, basically, when we were playing Arsenal and Spurs in, in the Premier League. And it's not, he was basically resting place for the Premier League games. And what he was trying to say, well, what, what he was definitely saying was some games are not important. And Luke will know at United, that is the death knell for any sort of Manchester United side because every single game at every single level is important. Because of what, exactly what he said, they smell blood, opponents smell blood, especially then at that time. Because they were... I'm sure we can all remember back to Moises' time when, you know, it was like a, a new record every week. A team who hadn't won at Old Trafford for five generations were now winning. And teams are doing that. And like we saw with Brighton, they turn up expecting to win because they know that they can play better football than us. And that leads us now into this situation where, you know, the mentality is so different. And it's it's funny because when you said that, Luke, I'm asking us what we expect. Hope and expectation are two very different things. And obviously, I, I'm hoping. I look at that squad of players and I think, all right, they finished second. I liked Solskjaer as a manager. I thought he was doing good things, but I also knew that he was very naive. So I was a lot of the underperformance due to the fact that he wasn't experienced. Then when Ragnick came in, Everyone wanted him to talk the way that he talks, and he did. And there's no doubt in that that had a massive confidence effect on the squad. You know, it pushed them down even further, saying, you know, they're not good any, every week and we need 10 new players. It's obviously going to destroy whatever confidence was left. So I was thinking, if you've got a good manager in who shows these players that they've got com- they can be confident in themselves, then we've already seen that they can finish in the top four. And then you see how difficult the environment is in which they're working. And really, a lot of them are better than what they're showing. And they all need to be, most of them need to be out of that environment in order to be able to refine themselves. And I don't want to sound like I'm being doom-mongering. I don't know, Luke, you won't know my bibliography, my, my past books, whatever it is. But they're, they're, I wrote a book on Jimmy Murphy. I wrote a book on, on the club's relegation. And every time United get battered, as often happens these days. They're the two books that get mentioned to me on Twitter all the time. They say, oh, the squad should read the Jimmy Murphy book and understand what it's like to play for United. And then the other ones are like, they should read two books to go down and understand that their career is on freefall down towards relegation. And I'm like, it's two games into the season. You can't start talking about relegation, even though we're, we're bottom. But I'm now, and I don't want to say that, again, like you were saying earlier, Jimmy, if you say that you'd accept mid-table, it's like you're saying that you accepted mediocre. No, you want United to finish this always. But we've got to be realistic about this squad. And that you look at the last 10 to 12 to 15 games, they're in that relegation form, which is going in steep relegation form. Their average points is would get them finishing below only last season. Do you know what I mean? So it's... They've got to sort that out quick because you look at the next eight or nine games, you don't see where a win's coming from. And for that reason, I know, Luke, you said earlier in October they're going to maybe talking about sacking the manager and stuff like that on a more serious level than what they currently are. I don't want to say avoiding relegation because that sounds like I'm being really, really pessimistic, but that's how I feel at the moment in time. 
I think if, if they can finish in the top half, Tenard will have done well to turn around what he's currently got because it's such a big mess. So I'm, I'm thinking, I'm going to be optimistic and say like ninth or eighth with this current squad in the way that they're playing. You don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 days. <clears throat> oh, I'm so pessimistic about this run of results, the well, run of games that we've got coming up forward. But And you will know, Luke, once, if you, they get into a rut where they've like maybe won one out of the first 10, that is very, very difficult for a squad with that kind of mentality to turn it around. Again, I'm not blaming the squad. There's a lot of pressures on them. It's just, yeah, that's the way that I feel. It's really difficult. I don't like making predictions because you sort of stick your flag in the sand and say, this is where I expect it to finish. But, yeah, I think if we finish in the top half, we will have done really well from where we are in terms of the mentality and quality in this squad. Oh. What a what a change we've had at United, eh? What a conversation. <laughs> you watch, I was saying this to my mates the other day, though, is that it would be absolutely peak United for us to now go and beat Liverpool um, next Monday. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're above them in the table and the narrative changes. And is that the springboard? Because, and it's an interesting, this, well, this wasn't on the, the list of topics we were going to talk about, but we can briefly touch on it, I suppose, is that, Liverpool yesterday, yeah, you know, the, the comment before that said that they, um, even with 10 men, they were fighting everywhere they were to, to every second ball. Liverpool have looked vulnerable this season so far. You know, they, they were there for the taking against Fulham. Um, Trent was exposed once again. Um, Mitrovic really, you know, outworked him and, and had a field day. And then against Palace, the, the, the traps were set by Palace. The counter-attacks were executed fabulously. And I, and I think that there's more... There's more of a sense of Liverpool can be got at and, and be beaten this season. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, how next Monday goes. You know, it's a relegation six-pointer um, between us and them. And um, I'm interested whether or not, you know, Ten Hag does switch up, like we've said. And all of a sudden, you know, we pick up three points against Liverpool next Monday. The narrative will change. The, the doom and gloom seems to stop a little bit. Um, and maybe it's a springboard for us to kick on off. But, you know... Like we say, hope does uh, does mad things to your brain, doesn't it? So we'll see. Um, so just to go back to the Brentford game, and obviously Luke, you briefly touched on it, and um, I just wanted to pull it back in De Gea, you know, taking responsibility in his post match interview. You know, what are your thoughts on on his performance, but then comparing that to Dean Henderson's performance um, for Forest against West Ham, and the decision to let him go on loan and leave De Gea pretty much the unchallenged number one. Well, I think that, to be honest, I didn't see Dean Henderson's game. So I can't comment on that because I was at Hunstanton, which is the beach near me, uh, with the kids. But I will watch it after this. Um, obviously, De Gea, he had a nightmare. You know, it's uh, it's a tough one for him to take. He must have, especially early on in the game, um, you know, he must have felt like he's cost them the whole game. And I think that, it's a shame United didn't get a couple of goals back and show, you know, back their keeper by putting in a big performance. I think that's usually what the team's asked of when your keeper messes up. They always say, let's give him, you know, let's get back in this game and do it for uh, your goalkeeper. But that didn't happen. And from what I saw, there wasn't a great deal of chances. Um, the Brighton goalkeeper, uh, the Brentford goalkeeper, sorry, didn't have to work too hard to get his zero. Um, the whole Dean Henderson thing, I think that, 
you know, it's fine. You can't, I don't think you could keep them two at the club. It's fine that De Gea stays and, and Dean goes out on loan. It's great for them. It's good for Forrest um, to get to get a good goalkeeper. It's, you know, he has had experience in the Premier League, but again, this will be more and more experience. I just don't think that if you play Dean Henderson for United this year as a number one, um, at this difficult time, I don't think that he would have come out of it um, with anything positive. I think he would have been under fire like all the goalkeepers were. He would have had a lot to do. Um, I just don't think it was right for him to start this season as a number one, especially as De Gea, you know, played played pretty well last year. Dean's a really talented boy and mentally he is, he's a bit crackers like myself, but he is a goalkeeper. He is mentally ready for the Premier League and for life in this crazy bubble of football, um, Instagram, Twitter and all the rest of it. There's not many that are made up for um, for life as a footballer these days mentally, but I think Dean is. And I think that's his strongest quality is, is mentality. And he's going to be one of those that will say controversial things. He will say the odd daft thing. The odd dad, daft thing will happen from what I know of Dean. But in in a good way, I say that in a good way, and I think that England have got a good goalkeeper coming through. But like I've said about Butland, Foster, England used to just throw these young goalies in the England team and think, "Oh, he's the next best thing. Let's get him in really early." But I'm the opposite. I think, wait, just let's see what he's got. He's alone at Forest. He's not Manu's number one yet. He shouldn't be Manu's number one just yet. But you know, he could be in a couple of years or next season or. You know, you've got to take your time because certain goalkeepers, like I've mentioned, have probably not reached um, where people thought they were going to go because they were bigged up too early. And you have to remember the Manchester United number one spot. And I said this when I left there is the hardest position in the 92 clubs and all the positions to play. Manchester United goalkeeper is the hardest position. You're the biggest club. You're in between the sticks. And this is why when I was there at 21, came back from Coventry, having played 36 games, thought I was the man. Um, didn't think I'd be first team choice, but Van der Sar was world class and he was the best goalkeeper in the world. We're in the top two or three. And that's what United need. They need the best, the top, top goalkeeper in their sticks every year, even if they're finishing mid-table. But you have to mentally be ready for that. And I think that, um, you know, the Gea deserves to stay at the moment. So just, just give it a little bit of time and it might be Dean, it might be somebody else. But I think that it will be doing Dean Henderson the world of good being number one at Forest. He'll play every week. Yeah, and I think it, it's spot on there. It's a really interesting insight as well into the uh, the United number one. But yeah, go watch Henderson's performance. It was a fantastic performance. Um, it, you know, he's a very progressive goalkeeper, isn't he? You know, his, his high claims and things like that. And he's always looking to get on the front foot. Um, and he seems fearless. So, it's, it's, you know, it's a trait that I really like about him. He, he does seem to just, um, he doesn't really care, does he? He just wants to win that ball and bring it under control. And obviously, there was the penalty save as well, which um, penalty saves have been few and far between for our club in recent times. Um, Wayne, any further thoughts on that, on, um, on De Gea, Henderson? Anything you'd have done differently or that you disagree with Luke? No, I would be interested in Luke's take on this. Yesterday I was talking to Paul Parker and he was saying about um, 
obviously your teammates know your strengths and weaknesses. And a lot of those defenders have played with De Gea for a long time, so they know that he's not the strongest on the ball. And he he sort of made the point about Maguire maybe holding on to the last second with with his pass, or, or not just not just against Brentford, but in general, and then puts De Gea under pressure that he doesn't need to be under. Um, and obviously De Gea is under instruction to play the ball to Ericsson instead of just thumping it out for a throw-in and then resetting the defence. Do you think that there's... Um, I guess it comes down to accountability. Do you think there's a lack of accountability in, in that defence? Do you think that they're not looking out for each other? I think I've watched United the last few years and I'll speak like I speak to my friends or my dad and, and people like that. United haven't got the players to play out from the back anywhere near what the top few clubs have. And that is just the way it is. De Gea is a fabulous shot stopper and he's brilliant. He's got so many good qualities. He is not the guy like Alisson and um, the Man City goalkeeper. Um, there's a few others in the league who can. He's not that guy. So my only concern is Ten Hag, because I, I can't remember the IX goalkeeper who I played against, and I think he's still there. He's, he, he takes so many risks, and I know the way they've played for, for quite a few years now. And we played like it at Panathinaikos, actually. We passed the ball like within the 18-yard box, and you hold your breath as a fan. United haven't got the players, and they're in this, you know, like the Premier League, remember. They haven't got the players to play out, from what I've seen. And that worries me, because then if that's the tactics, then... They're obviously told to do it, but you, ha it, you know, it's a high, high level skilled thing to do. There's only a few goalkeepers and it's not about the actual pass. It's not about the control. It's about the movement, the timing, the bravery, the position, positional sense. So you have to have the midfielder dropping in to get the ball. The defenders need to work hard, sprint to get in the positions to pass the ball. It's such a... It's so much harder than it looks because people say, I'll oh, just pass out. It's only two strikers. But on the high press, United haven't got those players. So it frustrates me when they try and do it because you know that ball where De Gea ends up kicking out for throwing. I've seen it in different games and he runs out of options. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. That ball does that because he's not confident on his left foot. So the left foot, the ones that are confident on the wrong foot, would use their left foot there and obviously bring the ball back in on the left-hand side. If you're not confident doing that, you use your right foot, which naturally the ball bends right. So you have no more space, pitch to work with, and you end up saying, you know what the safe thing is to do here is virtually just pick it out for a throw-in. That's like a tiny technical bit that I can that I can say. And this, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be any better than De Gea, but, but I'm saying it frustrates me that United are trying to do that with the players we have, you know. Yeah. We have talent, like loads of talent that can, but as you said, Wayne, and you said, Jamie, six, eight, this sort of level. And I'm sorry, you can't do it. And I don't know what the Dutch boys, the Young's like. Um, I don't know what centre halves they could bring in. I don't think Maguire, you know, he can't, they can't play that sort of football. They just can't do it. And I think accountability is going to be a case of pointing fingers all the time if they keep doing that um, to a certain level when they're under pressure, um, because they'll make mistakes. I think if Ericsson has, comes and gets the ball, then, you know, that's a strong position because he'd be good at that with his back to play. But 
from the back, I don't think. I think from the first game of the season, do you remember the first minute and the ball went to the right back, was it? And he kind of got tackled and everyone went... Yep. And I remember what you were all thinking, because I was thinking the same. Oh, it's all right. He didn't go in. We'll just forget about that. Come on, United. We're still... Yeah. <laughs> and I know that's the last thing. I think, oh, we'll just pretend that didn't happen quickly. Just move on. And then we end up getting beat and so on. But they're little things that throughout the season will build and build and build. And you just can't... It's not about bravery. It's about have you got the players who have taught, been taught that from the academy from a young age um, and drilled into them. Man City have those players. Of yeah, absolutely. That's a re again really, really interesting assessment there. We are slightly running out of time now, but I just really want to pick up on this quickly. This is a really interesting point as well. Um, so about United's average position for the last two games is what you'd expect from a Ten Hag team. So is it that the players get into the right positions but don't know what to do once they're in that position? And I think that's sort of what you're touching on there, Luke, isn't it? That we're trying to play a certain brand of football that Eric Ten Hag has become synonymous with at his time at Ajax, but the players themselves don't either have the footballing ability or you know maybe the football intelligence to know what to do once they get into that position. So is that something that you could train a player to do, or is it something that if you can't do it, you can't do it, and we need to abandon abandon that specific style of play? What do you think, Luke? I think I think you can improve, you know, you can certainly improve and you can have all these tactical boards and I've seen them all, the magnets and all the PowerPoint presentations and stuff, but it's very difficult because pre-season you can do it against Oldham away on a lovely pitch or, or at home, sorry, you can do it against um, teams that aren't really pressing, but as soon as that league starts, you could be brave and say, do you know what, I'm going to stick to it for 10, 15 games, but if you only get a few wins out of those 15 games, you know that's that, that you know what's coming. So I think that to answer that question, I don't think you can change it in six months and say, oh, now he's brilliant at that. I don't think you can because mentally the pressure com comes raining down on those players and then it's a different ball game. You know, we'd love to, I'd love to say, I mean, I learned loads when I was 29, 30 because I went to, Panathinaikos, and we had a Dutch coach from Ajax, a Dutch player, and he taught us how to play out. And I was always, I always thought, oh, I've got a great touch, I'm really good at passing, I'm, I can play out. But my positional th sense wasn't nowhere near what it could should be. And he taught me that over the next three years, and I learned loads. I still didn't perfect it, but I think it's very difficult when um, when the Premier League starts. So I think that they might have to just adopt another exit route, which means hitting it longer, halfway lines wide, and then when you get free time to turn, pass the ball out, then build up, go through Ericsson. But I don't think you can just learn that. You haven't got the time. You haven't got the coaching hours. Yeah. <clears throat> no, absolutely fascinating. Um, Wayne, anything you'd like, you'd like to add on that? Is there anything you disagree with? No, no, Luke's absolutely right. I think in his... Uh, Really good that he pointed out the, the pre-season thing because we obviously everyone was watching this United team in pre-season. And if anyone remembers the Louis van Gaal pre-season, it was exactly the same. They all played well in pre-season. As soon as the season business started, um, then it all hit the fan, didn't it? Um, and Luke will know this because um, he will have spent time around Rennie Mullenstein. So he will have known these kind of comments. Rennie talks about how um, players coming through the system 
the less easy to coach after the age of 21, 22, because we're in the habits. Um, so we've got a lot of players that were 28, 29. They're already in their own way. Do you know what I mean? They already have their own way of doing things. So it's harder to coach them out of that to make them do the things that you want them to do. Whereas, I, and maybe that's why I so successful and why United have traditionally been more successful when they've got the younger players in the side is that they're coached to play that certain way. They really know how to do that and that they can deal with the pressure because it's their instinctive way of playing. That's the thing that they've been taught to do rather than a new thing that they've been taught to do. So when it was under Van Gaal and these players were being taught to do something new, they froze under the pressure and like we see now, they, they don't know what to do, so they revert to the default, which is not, you know, great at the moment. Um, yeah, it is. It's, Interesting thing because I, I don't know if it's a goalkeeping thing, but they always say that goalkeepers reach a peak at a later time. It's interesting to hear you say, Luke, that you observed an improvement in your own game in the age of like 31 to 33. Whether that is a goalkeeping thing, whether it's to do with you know intelligence of positioning, or whether it's just a natural, maybe you were just more receptive to it, and some of these players aren't receptive to it in a way that you know that they need to be in order to improve. Because they, we all know that they need to. Yeah, I think that obviously goalkeepers, you start off and you get taught through the academy. and then. But I'll, I would say on that, because it sounds like I've just learned to play perfect football at the age of 29. I went into a good Greek side, into a Greek league where it was nowhere near as strong as... I'd say it wasn't as strong as the championship. They would, uh, Olympiakos and Panathinaikos certainly would hold their own. But it's, it's, a, it's kind of similar what I went through because I went into a slower league in the Greek league, whereas Ten Hag has come into a faster league. So I got the advantage of all of a sudden I had time on the ball. I'd pass the ball. I'd pass the ball backwards sometimes if it meant getting out of trouble on a perfect pitch. But Ten Hag, if you can relate to that, has come from the Dutch league, which is okay. It's okay. Like, I don't know whether, you know, it's okay. And he's gone to the Premier League. So from what he sees every single day, every single week, his opposition has now got stronger by, you know, a great deal. So where where you can see balls that say, hang on a minute, he's got time to turn there, he's got he can do that, that. No, this is the Premier League and teams are ratting, they're pressing like hell. And it's difficult to to kind of adjust that. And, and pre-season, it's very difficult because you, you work under false pretense because you, you have these games and we've all played out. We used to play, play out all the time and come to the first game of the season, you say, you're hearing from the manager, look, let's turn them first 10 minutes and get in their face. And that's, uh, that's because it's most effective. So he, he's got a difficult decision. I think that he needs to, you know, pro- perhaps keep with his own philosophy, certainly, but he needs to make sure those guys are running um, more than the opposition every single game, and that's what fans. That's what fans. Okay, can lose and still come out with credit because if the boys are absolutely dead on their feet and they've given everything and they're pressing and and things like that, fans will still give them credit. Yeah, agreed. Um, absolutely spot on. Um, and I think one thing, just quickly on Tanar before we move on to final topic, is. Um, you know, we've seen it. We've seen his teams in the Champions League um, do well. So there clearly is, you know, uh, a lot of success within his philosophy and it does work. And it is just like, say, look about tinkering that to make sure that it's 
fit for the Premier League and for the, the crop of players that we've got. You know, we've still got um, 16 days, I think it is, left of the transfer window. So hopefully, you know, there's a couple more players coming in that can help him uh, establish his brand of football and his style. But I do think that the, the, uh, the Liverpool game is going to be interesting. You know, we beat him 4-0 in the uh, the Bangkok Century Cup final in pre-season. Um, so let's hope, let's hope for a little bit more of that. Um, so, yes, we've run slightly over the, the allotted time, but just one quick final point um, that I want to ask you both. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, at the minute, obviously, it's a, it's a very interesting predicament that we're in. Um, every day, it seems to be a new story coming out about him. But the question I just want to ask is, should he stay or should he go? I'll come to you first, Luke. Oh, thanks, Jamie. Should he should he stay? But but what do you mean by should he stay or should he go? Like, do I want him to stay? Are you asking, or do, should the club keep him? Are you asking, or should oh, so, he yes. want? Sorry, yeah. Do you do you want him to stay or do you want him to leave? I want him to stay, and I think the club are doing the right thing in trying to keep him, and I think that. For me, it's all about, and this is because I know United aren't going to win the league this year. I want it to be, a, I don't want it to be a bitter taste of the way that Ronaldo finished at United because I love him and, you know, he's come back and he's been, he was brilliant last year and he went through loads on and off the pitch. I think United fans, I think the, the, the football romantics out there would really want him to finish on a high at United, whether they don't win anything or not. And I think that hurts hurts us a lot because if it's if he goes in a bad way and it's already been let's be honest it's already been dragged through it in a bad way that that'll be painful to see which has been already so I just want it to kind of be resolved so if he was to leave as long as he left and carried on doing well and he was remembered as doing really well at United even on his second spell then that's fine by me and when Wayne writes a book on it in a few years time as long as it's all positive that would be all right with me. But I kind of just I cannot believe that it's just the headlines all the time. Then all of a sudden, our superstar, one of the best players to ever play the game, is, you know, yeah. is dragging it through the mud a bit. And it's, it's hard to watch, but I, I want it to be resolved really quickly. Yeah, agreed. Wayne? Yeah, completely agree. I didn't... I'd, I've never really considered the emotional context of the probably in the way that Luke said it before that the closest ever come to that is the fact that my nephew loves him and you know seeing it when he's seven seeing him adore him in the way that I adored him I was 20 odd when he first came so it's a different level of adoration I still did um and yeah seeing I, I think for me when you look at what he wants to achieve what he wants to achieve is obviously more Champions League goals if you look at it pragmatically and says, all right, Messi's probably not going to catch me this year. Um, he's not going to score 15 goals. I think that's how far Ronaldo's ahead of him. But obviously that's the thing that's in his mind. Yeah, I don't know. If he gets, if he can find a club that will take him, if it helps United out, like, you know, if, if it's Atletico Madrid, as some people are suggesting, and if we get a player from Atletico Madrid, it might be better all around that way. But then if he stays, then you want to say, all right, if he's made the concession that he wants to go those Champions League goals, but you can lead the next generation of um, transition at United in a more positive way. The thing is, I don't think this squad, as you can see from the way that he reacts whenever we concede a goal, this squad reacts badly to his level of histrionics, whereas the squad that Luke was in reacted positively. So, you know, they, they could 
handle it. Ronaldo was no different then. He would throw a stroke. But his standards now were so far higher than the standards of his squad that obviously it can be quite disruptive in the same way that Ragnik was a little bit, you know, calling everybody out last season. And you think for like one or two games, you think, oh, this is refreshing. And then after three or four, you're like, oh, can you give it a rest now? Because we can all see it's crap. That's kind of where I am with Ronaldo. I'd love the sort of, I don't know what a fairy tale finishes for him at this moment in time. Another 30 goals, being a more positive influence on the, the Garnachos coming through rather than the Maguires, for example. I want him to stay on a selfish basis of like seeing him play for United again, seeing him score at tricks again, seeing break records like the 800 goal and seeing him become the leading goal scorer of all time. All these things happen at Old Trafford. If you don't have um, trophies and you don't have league titles, then you have memories in football and Ronaldo's providing them when the team's struggling. So it's a really catch-22 situation. Is he, is he a long-term stint at the club? For, for the squad, I don't know, um, and that's where we are. Do you know, is, is he better as an asset if we can move him on? We don't know that at the moment in time. So, it's it, on an emotional level in the way that Luke's just said it. Then I want him to stay, um, but I guess I want him to go as well. Yeah, I, I, could, I don't think I could agree with either of you anymore. I think for me, it's just one of those is that whatever happens needs to be sorted quick. If he wants to stay, brilliant. Let's 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 get him involved and. Like you say, helping out the young lads and get back to that that romantic version of Ronaldo that we all have in our heads. And um, if he wants to leave, then help him leave. Um, but on that note, I think that's a, a good opportunity to to wrap everything up. Um, Luke, thank you very much for for coming on today. You know, you've, you've it's been fantastic to speak to you, Wayne. It's been great to talk to you as well. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, um, please obviously like the video, subscribe to the channel and leave us a review on the platform that you're listening on. Uh, Keen will be back with Lee Lawrence and Phil Marsh on Friday. Uh, thank you very much for watching and for listening, and we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.